Hello and welcome to Don't Talk About It. I'm your host, Dean D, and today we got a little unpacking to do. This one's called Unpacking the Uncomfortable. So, I've been dealing with this uh, 2% a little bit more. There's that 98% of my life that I just really enjoy about myself, about the actions that I take, about the thoughts that pop into my head. But then there's that 2%, the part that I tended to fixate on for a really, really long time, turned into the part that I started to ignore. And then it became the part that I began to sit with a little bit. And as I'm sitting here on my bench with my 2% of uncomfortable about myself, those doors that I want to close and not look into the room and say, oh yeah, when company comes over, we're not going to show them that. Let's just keep them in the kitchen, in the living room. Let's go close the doors to everything we don't want them to see. That's the part that I've been sitting with for the last few weeks. And it's new, and it's uncomfortable, and it's really freaking hard. Because I realize, even though I have not spoken to my father in, you know, close to a year, over a year, there's still that voice in my head all the time. And uh, it's always there. And for so long, I just wanted it to go away. And it's part of me. And I'm listening to it. And uh, it's saying some pretty interesting things. And I think a lot of it starts with this concept of uh, acceptance. As much as I feel like I've grown, I'm still really, really wrestling with acceptance. Every day. So growing up, I... uh, my parents got divorced when I was 12, and it was a really interesting dynamic. My father at the time was a long-haul truck driver, and so he'd be gone, you know, 29 days out of the month, and I'd, he'd come home for one day, and uh, as soon as he got home, he had things to do, other priorities, as I saw it. I gotta change the oil in my truck. I gotta mow the lawn. I've gotta eat. I've gotta sort my mail. I've got all these things that I need to do. Except spend time with you. That little bit of not valuable kind of stays with you, especially when it's reinforced on the daily. My mom at the time was a principal assistant, administrative assistant, office secretary, title changes, job stayed, very similar. My mom does way more than she should ever do for her job title. Bit of a a martyr when it comes to work. So... I had these two prime examples of never 
doing enough and then never getting it right. And uh, looking into how that's pinpointed, I've carried it with me through my whole life and I keep trying to drop it. And carrying it is is something that is it's always going to be there. I'm always going to carry it. I'm just not trying to hide it. And the weight is getting a little less. It's getting easier to carry. You don't have so many things to wrap it in that add extra weight to try to hide. As I expose these layers of weight are starting to come off. And we jump back to acceptance because that is, for me, one of my biggest, biggest struggles. And when my parents got divorced with that original mindset of feeling like uh, there was these two polar opposites, my mother who was, you know, tried to offer us the world (laughs) to make up for my dad and uh, I think try to offer the world to herself too in the process for a bit of the childhood she never got. So she got to enjoy it with twin boys instead. And there's a piece of that that realized that there's a piece of my childhood that got taken because my mom was busy was including herself a bit more into mine for the things that she never got and guilt and making up for dad and falling back to doing more than she ever needed to do for that job title. (laughs) So when my parents got divorced, the most interesting part of that was the fact that neither of them left. That's right. I grew up on five acres And my mom stayed in our house, and my dad moved 100 yards, maybe 50 yards up the way, and lives right up there, built another house. So from age 12 to age 18, and then, you know, all through college, every time I came home, my parents were on the same property. I couldn't go to my dad's house without my mom seeing it. I couldn't go to my mom's house without my dad seeing it. And the feeling that started when I was 12 continues long into my 30s. And only recently has become accepting a bit more that I don't have to go to my dad's house every time I go to my mom's and vice versa. This level of equality expectation that's put on you as a kid continues through life. And there was nowhere for me to hide because it was all on the same property. Every time I'd go up to my dad, he would start every sentence with your fucking mother. And my mom would always... Well, always isn't the word. More often than not, would slam my dad in return. Or so she thought. And so he thought. In slamming each other, they slammed my brother and I even more in the process. 
we'd go to the mall with my dad after he got home from, you know, almost a month of being gone. And we were so excited because my dad was going to buy these new Jordans for us. And my mom on the other side was pinching pennies to get us food. And we'd go to the store and my brother and I would be so excited with these new Jordans, these euphoric materialistic item because at the time I'm starting to realize that the only thing that's bringing me happiness are the external things that are being presented to me and not the internal feelings that I'm having. And as soon as I would get home, my mom would look at me and go, oh, what did your dad buy you today? He's always out there trying to buy your love. Disneyland dad. And in slamming my father, my euphoric emotion of joy that I just had was instantly crushed, and I felt horrible for having something that brought so much discomfort to my mom. A trip, vice versa, we would always go down to my aunt's house in Tahoe. And those were definitely some of the best, best days of my life as a kid. Who wouldn't like an aunt who had a tennis court, a swimming pool, always made us feel like we were a million bucks every time we showed up. We'd break things in her house and she would say it's okay honey you know things happen <laughs> but those trips started to get less enjoyable because I was terrified to tell my dad where I was going I knew the storm that would follow of profanity towards my mother, towards my aunt. How she just, my mom, just whisks you away and I never get to see you boys and she's always keeping me from you. And that trip suddenly felt like prison knowing that nothing I could do would ever please either side. My dad's joy brought my mom discomfort and my dad and vice versa. And my dad always put himself before anybody else and still to this day. And I used to see it as selfishness, but now I, I realize a bit more of it is weakness. So this model of never knowing that it's enough, you have acceptance. You need to be able to accept, in my mind, I need to be able to accept myself. And how can I accept myself when my own parents can't accept me both at the same time. 
So coming up with a baseline was really, really hard, even still today. I constantly still use others to kind of judge how well I'm doing, and that is changing, and it feels good. But I realize with being present is also a big, big issue for me, and being present has a lot to do with my lack of acceptance. I remember I was so excited to buy this new pickup truck. I It was a Toyota Tacoma 2001, older truck, and I bought it 10 years ago. And I was so excited. It was this black truck. I'd always wanted a black Tacoma ever since I went with my buddy Matt up in Alaska. And I worked hard, and some things transpired, and was able to get this truck. It was kind of a fluke, actually, because I had a, a car that I needed to sell because it was causing marital issues for my wife and I. It, my car was turning into my ego, an extension of my penis, and <laughs> and so that, that just needed to be squashed. I was instantly turning into my father, so glad my wife put her foot down with that one. So I bought this totally stock Tacoma, and I was so excited. I got home to my dad, and I wanted to show him, and he, I pull in the driveway, and I jump out, and before I can say anything, my father goes, whose piece of shit is that? And I said, well, I said, it's my piece of shit, Dad. I just got it. And he goes, I can't believe you would waste your money and ball up one side down the other about, oh my God, instantly robbing me of my joy. And I felt like I was right back to 12 years old. And so this feeling of it never being right is still very present. And jumping back to, you know, my dad being gone and that voice that's in my head from earlier makes me connect these dots that with my dad's absence, that voice is still very, very present because I'm constantly doing it to myself. And if I constantly do it to myself, then I'll never accept myself. And so, so I try not to be present sometimes because then I don't have to accept myself and it's a little bit easier so I go somewhere mentally in my mind. And I spin it into, oh, well, that's their problem or, you know, some other way to accept it. And I feel like the message that I never got or I never gave myself, however it comes through, we're still figuring this out me, myself, and I, with, you know, the help of counseling, is I just want to show up to the party. Like your birthday. Somebody is throwing a party for you, but the person who is throwing it is yourself. And the knowledge that I had ingrained for so long is that I couldn't show up to the party unless I arrived 15 minutes early, 
in my best clothes, with my hair perfect, saying the right things, bringing the perfect gift. And even then, I will put it all together and somehow there's a food allergy in there that I missed and I still fucked it up in some way. And the message through acceptance and being present through my meditation and pausing and not trying to react instantly with what I know, but sit and pause and listen to what I don't know. I'm putting together that I have started to accept myself by just showing up to the party. It doesn't matter what time you get there. You're the guest of honor. The party won't start till you get there. If you show up in a swimsuit, hey, good thing we got a pool. That judgment of just being there, just being present, just being at your own party is enough. And I'll give you an example. It's a, kind of a minor one, which just happened the other day, and I fought myself so hard on it is I have these goals with work. There's these three bars that we, that were, you know, expected as our goals to meet every week. And one of them's community outreach. The other one is like your percentage on, you know, tours and how many people visit. And, and then the other one is, um, is about like where your, where your lead sources are coming in, who's kind of reaching out to you. And, I didn't meet all three of these bars this week because one of the bars was extremely, extremely high from normal. I had a lot more people visiting. There was a lot more time being taken. And I go to send this email off, which is like my weekly report. And I draft up this email with how... I am sorry that I wasn't able to meet all the the goals this week and how I am I apologize for not having enough time this week to meet all those goals and that I will make up for it somehow next week and I started to draft this out and I got maybe a sentence or two into it and I just hit delete And I reminded myself that those are goals and those are not expectations. And that if I'm exceeding substantially high in one of those areas that takes the time off my plate, there's only so much time in the day, Dean. So with all this worry in mind, I hit delete and I sent this email off with saying, Happy Friday. Hope everybody had a great week. Here's the report. And what I thought I was going to get was a bunch of replies by my superiors telling me that I fell short in one of the three areas. That was my fixation. And I told myself that all you can do is put it out there. You can only 
look through your lens, you cannot change other people's perception of you. And that's part of being accepted in yourself, is knowing that you cannot change other people's point of view. You can only know yours and be open to alternatives that might change it. So I send this email off thinking that I'm just going to be berated. And the email that I get back instantly is how amazingly well I have done this week in this area that is so substantially high. And the focus from everybody and all the replies is how well I did this week in this area that was so high in visits. And my fixation of negativity, my lack of acceptance, accepting the self, myself that I did a good job this week and being present for whatever it is that is going to be returned to me via email. Not pushing it off, not pushing it aside, not ignoring the email, not discounting what they say, but being present and then accepting it. has really shown me that there is a different path. My fixations are not others. My fixations are actually routines that were my model growing up. Never being able to do anything right. Never being able to please anybody. Never feeling like I can ever please myself. It sounded a little pervy, but you know what I mean, mentally. And it's hard. It is so hard to sit every day on this bench with this uncomfortable and unpack it. And not set a timeline, but just set a goal to listen. Not try to defend it as it comes out. Not hiding tears as they bubble up. And I've learned that it is so much easier for me to accept what's hard. Because I see it as growth. And it feels better. I never thought that accepting it would be the easiest part. The fear behind what happens after the acceptance is the hardest part for me. And having examples, knowing that that accepting it is actually the, the easiest part. The hard part's going to be now for me sticking with it. <laughs> but... You know, we're one. I'm one stepping at a time here, and uh, this unpacking this uncomfortable. It is so hard because it, it everything roots back to childhood. And God, I don't know about you, but I had kind of a childhood that like I don't like to flip back to all the time. <laughs> but that's where I learned because now I can see things different as an adult instead of believing what I was told having a chance to feel things and see things differently. And it's weird. I think I've said this before somewhere in the past along these podcasts, but 
I used to, every month my dad paid child support, and I used to have to go up there and ask. It was due by the third of every month, and if my dad didn't pay by the third, then my mom would ask my brother and I to go get it. And I was like, really, as an adult now, especially, I mean, I, as a kid, was terrified to go up there and ask my dad for money. I knew that it was like, you know, what's that saying? Don't shoot the messenger. I was worried that I was shot <laughs> verbally by my dad. And I remember the walk from my house to my dad's house was the longest walk I ever made on those days. And I had to do it every month. 12 times a year for 6 years 72 times and at work how much that stuff carries is every Christmas we would do an employee bonus check and uh, all the residents would get together and put together a big pot for the employees and it was a grand gesture by the residents, and I realize now that it was because our work was too fucking cheap to ante up for themselves. Because they were too busy paying their CEOs and upper VPs a substantially amount more money than they're paying any of their frontline staff or mid-level managers. But that's not the point. The point is me and the check. So... Every Christmas there was these bonuses and they came in the form of checks. And there was a table with residents and they had your last name and the residents were so excited to thank you and praise you for all that you do and how you make them feel every day when you show up to this campus. Lining up for praise, doesn't that sound great? That's not how I saw it. I remembered walking up to my dad's house and asking for that child support check. So I never went and got my check. I always had HR mail it. And as I sit and unpack this uncomfortable bit now... It makes me connect those dots how much those childhood experiences stick with you forever. And you carry them with you. And for so long I was trying to drop them and fix them and get rid of them instead of just carry them. Give them the support that they need. But if I don't want to go get a bonus check because of my childhood trauma, then, oh my god, if that's not a direct relation into how much deeper this goes, there is a lot of behaviors that are ingrained. And so as I sit with this uncomfortable, I'm discovering which behaviors are ones that are imposed and which behaviors are truly genuine emotions that come from within me. 
So that's my rant for the day. Unpacking a little bit at a time. And realizing how much as a child I didn't want to be present because I was in a very uncomfortable environment. And as an adult, my environment has changed and it's become more pleasant and I am able to surround it with these things that represent positivity in my life, like my garden, my little hammock that I love to lay in, my wisteria that's cascading down, creating this nice little nook to meditate in. And I'm connecting the dots a bit more that it's easier to be present now because I have changed my environment. But the, but in doing so, I am still not accepting that my environment has changed in my head mentally. That is still very real. And these external, immediate surroundings have changed. I'm no longer on a property with two parents living there that are divorced that hate each other. <laughs> and they're like, oh, we're cordial now, but yeah, I'd still call bullshit on that. And as I've gotten in a more positive environment, I have accepted that my environment has changed. But I have not been present and aware and accepting enough to realize that I'm carrying toxic behaviors into a new environment. So I'll sit on my bench and unpack a little bit more. And I thank you for your time, for your ears, and for listening. It's a goal, not a timeline. Have a splendid day.